We welcome, welcome to the Tools Workshop. <clears throat> My name is Cindy, and I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi, Cindy. <clears throat> Hi. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we start, we ask that all cell phones and other electronic devices be turned off. Do that too. Okay. We remind you that this session is being recorded. All speakers must sign the release form. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. The opinions expressed here today are those of OA members and do not represent OA or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous. The format of this meeting is as follows. We will have three speakers who will share for 20 minutes, followed by three-minute open pitches until the end of the session. The topic for this session is the tools. The following is a reading from the Tools of Recovery pamphlet, page one. In Working Overeaters Anonymous 12 Steps Program of Recovery from Compulsive Overeating, we have found that a number of tools are available to assist us. We use these tools a plan of eating, sponsorship, meeting, the telephone, writing, literature, action plan, anonymity, and service on a regular basis to help us achieve and maintain abstinence and to recover from our disease. Our first speaker is Rita from Heldsburg. Hi. I'm Rita. I'm a compulsive reader. How's this mic doing? Can you all hear me okay? Good. All right. Um, I'll qualify for just a minute before I talk about the tools. Um, I entered this program in 1983. I was uh, 50 pounds overweight, what was, which was bad enough, but what was really bad is I couldn't stop eating, and that was scaring me to death. And um, I didn't know what was wrong. And so I entered OA. And I didn't think it would work for me because, like most of us here, I'm special and unique. And what worked for them wasn't going to work for me. But I decided to just give it a try to spite them to prove that it wouldn't work. So I did. Did what they told me. And I had seven years of abstinence. Um, I stopped eating sugar, which was a total miracle. And then uh, through a series of events, um, my life changed uh, dramatically, and um, I had to. I went to a new town, and you know how it is when you go to a new town; they do meetings differently. Not as good. <laughs> anyway, I, I had a lot of reasons to think that I could do it on my own, and. Um, it should come as no surprise to most of us that I could not. <laughs> and so I needed to come back to OA. 
And so I returned to OA, but I had several years of up and down, up and down weight, on and off abstinence. I, I do like a month, two months, a year. And then something would happen and I'd blow it and I just couldn't get a run going. And um, so I sat, I, went, I did go to meetings. I kept coming back. And I got to say, that's what saved me. I kept coming back. And um, I came back even when I was sure that everybody in my meetings was looking at me and thinking, why is she still here? She's obviously not working the program very well. And I was putting it out there in their heads, making it come out of their mouths, but it wasn't, I don't think, because I know for myself now, when I see somebody sitting in a meeting that's been struggling for years, I have a lot of compassion for them because I have been there, and I kept coming back, and it saved me. So anyway, speaking of meetings, um, so I did finally, I, people ask me, what happened? I, I can't tell. I don't know. I suddenly was given the gift of willingness. I, was, I went to Hawaii and, um, on vacation, and I couldn't get, uh, uh, my top weight was 233 pounds, and I couldn't get into the canoe. And I... Um, I was having health problems. I had pre-diabetic and cholesterol and all that stuff. And and suddenly I was just given the gift. And, and this is like a special gift that I've learned to appreciate. Not just this gift, but the ability to see myself as I am is something that is the hardest thing for me. And when I, I get that gift, sometimes I'm not appreciative at the moment, but in the end I am. I was given the gift to see that I was killing myself. And it was a shocker to me. All excuses aside, the only reason that I was having health problems was because of what I was putting into my mouth. And that's the only logical explanation that I could come up with. I was killing myself. And so that made it stripped away denial for me, and I started working my program differently, looking at things differently. And uh, today, um, I've been maintaining a... 80 to 85 pound weight loss for, you know, around 10 years, I would say. Um, And I've been um, abstinent from my trigger foods for about that same time. And um, so um, today, um, I've been asked to talk about the we tools. And I was telling some friends this morning at breakfast that I was going to be talking on the we tools, and they said, what's that? So I thought, oh, I I thought it was obvious, but I guess I'm going to have to explain. (laughs) Those are the tools that it takes another person to work. (laughs) And those are sponsorship, sponsorship, meetings, telephone, and service. And I would also heard something the other day that uh, struck me, and that is that illness begins with I, and wellness begins with we. And another thing I heard that I like, I'm stealing all these things, um, the tools are like a banister while we're climbing the steps. While we're using the steps, it's something to help us. And I personally use all the tools in the course of a, a week. I don't use all tools every day, but in the course of a week, I probably have used them all. And I use most of them every day because... I need them to stay abstinent. 
and I, I have another friend I'll I have another friend I'll steal something from and that's that um, uh, you know those speed bumps alongside the road when you get off the uh, little bit you know you start to veer a little bit they go bump 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 and you know you're off a little bit well the tools because they're part of my routine when I get off a little bit I notice it because of the tools and they help bring me back also, um, autopilot on an airplane doesn't mean that the airplane always strays, stays on the straight and narrow and never veers off. Autopilot, when, it, when the plane veers off, it brings it back. And that's the way I feel about program and the tools. They bring me back. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, there are times... Um, when I thought that I didn't have time to work the tools. I have a very busy life. And um, what what happens to me is when I don't have time to work the tools, my life falls apart. And I remember that slogan that I, uh, those slogans when I first came into program. I hated hearing them. First things first. Well, I learned from experience what that means. If I don't have time to use my tools, then I don't have time for my life. <laughs> and it's, nothing's going to work right. Uh, I was, I'm retired now, but uh, even before I was retired, when I was working, raising a family and everything, I used the tools. Because, um, well, the first tool I'll talk about is sponsorship. And I wanted to read um, a, little, a little something out of... Um, a pamphlet that I can't find now. Oh, here it is. Um, Sponsors are OE members. uh, I'm sorry, this is from the Tools of Recovery. Sponsors are OE members who are living the 12 steps and 12 traditions to the best of their ability. They are willing to share their recovery with other members of the fellowship and are committed to abstinence. And I'm going to skip a little bit to... By working with other members of OA and sharing their experience, strength, and hope, sponsors continually renew and reaffirm their own recovery. And it was one of those moments that many of us experience where I'm like, oh, I don't remember reading that before. Sponsorship is about me as a sponsor renewing, you know, my commitment to this program. And um, I have to say, I probably get... Uh, more out of sponsoring than anybody I sponsor does because it makes me aware of my progress for one thing in this program and I think that's really important to remember you know we all have faults and shortcomings and you know but we all also have strengths and things to um, share uh, that help other people and I think it's important to remember that but it also helps me remember my shortcomings, and they're there. They're definitely there. I've worked with many sponsors over the years. My first sponsor, they say, find somebody that has what you want and um, ask them how they got it or whatever. I, ch- I chose a sponsor when I was first in program that was young and pretty because she had what I wanted. And I just didn't get to be young and pretty from her, in fact. <laughs> Uh, I didn't believe in God at that time, and we got to step two, and I said, I don't know how I'm going to work this because I don't believe in God. 
And she said, oh, well, you can't. can't work the steps if you don't believe in God. And uh, so it just goes to show you, sponsors are not infallible. We're human beings like everybody else. So I ended up getting another sponsor eventually. And um, so I used to wish that I was like one of those people that had the same sponsor their whole time in a way. You know, I used to... How do they do that? Because I had a lot of different sponsors for various reasons. They'd drop out of the program or they'd move away or I'd, you know, go, I'm not, I'm not doing what you say, you know. Anyway, thank you. Um, so, uh, but what I learned to accept is that I have learned something from every single one of these sponsors that I needed to learn. And maybe God's plan for me that I... I do believe in a higher power now, by the way. My, my higher power's plan for me was that I would have a lot of different sponsors and learn from them all. And um, I have to say that um, one of the things that sponsoring has done for me, both being a sponsor and sponsoring, is I've learned to work with another. I grew up in a very um, isolated uh, way out in the country. There were five kids in my seventh grade class. Uh, I didn't have a best friend. I didn't have uh, a lot. I didn't have intimate relationships. My family wasn't the intimate type, you know. Um, so they might make fun of you if you shared that you were uh, afraid of something. They would like find a way to scare you with it or something. I don't know. But anyway, that uh, they love me, but. Mm. So um, I, uh, I didn't have a best friend, and I didn't know how to do emotional intimacy. Even after I was married, you know, I, 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 I saved a lot of stuff back. I didn't put it out there. And it was my sponsors that helped me learn how to do that. It was my sponsors that uh, helped me learn that I could trust and that um, the joy of having someone else know all about you inside and out and your deepest, darkest, and still love and care about you. And I got to tell you, that was like, that is such an amazing thing we have in our program. It's hard to open yourself up and do that, but when you do, the gifts are tremendous. I remember the first, first fifth step I did, I, I was having trouble getting the sponsor and and um, you now everybody was busy. And, you know, I had an idea of what the perfect sponsor would be, and I couldn't find that. And so I was asking different people, and nobody could do it. And so I made this deal with my higher power, and I said, okay, the next person that walks through that door and announces themselves as a sponsor is going to be my sponsor. This person came through the door that I'd seen in meetings, and it was like, oh, no, <laughs> not her, for various reasons. But I made a deal. So I carried through, and I, I have to tell you, that person, um, she was the most compassionate person I've ever met in my life. And I shared my first fifth step with her. And, I, you know, I, I just can't say, you know, the acceptance that I was able to give myself about my past because of the way she treated me. So it was very special. Um, and sponsoring has given me one of the promises, a life of happy usefulness. And nothing makes me feel more useful than being able to share the hope that I have been given in this program to somebody who has lost hope. And you know how you walk through that door. You, you, you want to hope, but you've pretty much lost it to get through that door in the first place. 
It is a, it's a really special thing. And, um, you know, no matter how far down the scale we've gone, we get to see how our experience can help others. And I, I just, there's a quick quote I want to do. Um, I won't attribute it because I don't think we're supposed to do that. But it is not um, God or higher power or whatever you want to call it. I don't care. That person that put in the big book, God, as you understand it, I want to kiss that person because it, I have a very personal God. might not be like other people's gods. works for me. Um, God, as you understand it, is within all of us. It's not just in some of us. It's in all of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give others permission to do the same. We are, as we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. You know, you've heard it said that we don't carry the message, we are the message. I think that's what it's talking about. When we work the program and we work through our stuff, it automatically helps other people. This is how I sponsor. I call my sponsor four days a week. We talk for 10 minutes. I um, send her my food plan every day. I send her um, my uh, 10th step every day. I text if I need to change my food plan. If I have a resentment that's eating at me, I work the steps uh, on it through step nine. Um, And my sponsees do the same with me. We work the steps using the big book and the OA 12 by 12, read and write every day, share it. Um, And they share their food plans with me and their 10th step with me. And uh, that's what works for me. And there's lots of different ways of sponsoring, and I know that from having lots of different sponsors, but that's what works for me. And um, meetings. Uh, i got to say, I had a lot of shame, as do many of us. I didn't know I had shame. I knew I had something. I didn't know what to call it. My sponsor is the first one that said, that's shame. I went, oh, my God, shame. <laughs> I guess it is. And I have a lot of shame about who I am and what I've done and all that stuff. And even though I've worked the steps for all these years, you know, some things die hard, and they come back in, in difficult situations. So, um, But what I found out that is with meetings, when I share my stuff in a meeting, it takes the power away from it. And when I hear somebody else sharing their stuff in a meeting, it makes me realize I'm not the only one and I'm not alone. And that is so important. And like I said, meeting, just coming to meetings alone kept me in this program, kept me coming back. Meetings are tremendously important. They've, um, I, I, I love some, most of the meetings I go to have a no crosstalk thing in them. And uh, it was a revelation to me to be able to say something and not have somebody comment on it or make a judgment on it or, you know, like I was used to, you know, probably didn't even get to finish most of what I was going to say. I got to hear myself, and I got to get my voice. And it's just, that is such a gift. Um, I also learned to put aside assumptions and judgments about other people. I mean, I still have to do that on a daily basis, but it taught me that it's possible um, because, you know, we're so different. But the thing we have in common is we have the same problem, and we're all looking for recovery, and that transcends everything. Um, Also, uh, working in, in meetings... When I speak like this, you know, this is hard for me to do, but when I do it and then people tell me, you know, that they really liked what I said, 
it helps me when I get acceptance from other people. I, you know, I wish I could just be one of those people that just is within myself, and even if nobody else thinks I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm not. I, when I hear stuff from other people uh, on acceptance, it helps me accept myself, which is pretty hard for me. But when I'm willing to be honest, others do. And I go to a minimum of two meetings a week. I work in other programs, so altogether, minimum of three meetings, three meeting, three twelve-step meetings a week. And I don't go for more than a week without going to a meeting if I can help it. Even when I take a cruise, I, I find the friends of Bill W. Room, you know, and go to a meeting there. Telephone. Thank God for the telephone. When I first was in OA, um, I had uh, young children at home, and my husband worked nights, and. If it wasn't for the telephone, and that was before cell phones, when you had to pay for phones out of your area, thank God for cell phones, right? Those things we don't think to be grateful for. Um, It was like, this is what I've always wanted, all the loneliness in my life. I had people I could call that were waiting for me to call me, that wanted me to call them, that wanted to talk to me. It was just amazing. I know a lot of people don't like the telephone, but for me, it was a lifesaver. I love reaching out to my sponsor daily, and she gives me that hit of love that carries me through the day. I love having my sponsees call me. And, you know, it's not just in, in OA now. You know, I have people that call me every day and tell me they love me. Thank you. One. Oh. And tell me they love me. And, and now, you know, my family tells me they love me. My friends tell me they love me. I mean, it's opened up a whole big thing for me of um, giving and accepting love. And I was going to get to service, but I'm standing here doing service, so I guess I'll just let rest at that. And um, I think my time is up. And uh, the great closing I have, I'm going to skip. My my higher power apparently didn't like it. (laughs) Thank you all for listening to me. Our second speaker is Karen from Gardnerville, Nevada. Hi, I'm Karen, and I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, Karen. Um, I'm talking today about one specific tool, uh, which is meetings. And uh, meetings are really important to me because um, it was at a meeting that I first realized that I was not alone and uh, that there wasn't just one thing wrong with me and I wasn't just a bad person, it was because I had a disease. So um, to qualify myself, I like that phrase, um, at my highest weight I was 321 pounds. And uh, so I'm a member of the 100-pounder club. Woohoo! Um, and I'm working on the 200-pounder club. Uh, so I'll get there, hopefully. Uh, So today, uh, what I wanted to do is to talk to you about the top ten reasons not to go to a meeting. Uh, And as I go through those reasons, I'm going to share my experience and my strength and hope about those. Um, So hopefully you won't use those same reasons that I used for many, many years. 
Uh, so does anybody know the official OA definition of a meeting? It's two or more people who come together to share their experience, strength, and hope. There's 20 people in here. We could have 10 meetings. I go to meetings in northern Nevada where there are, you know, a lot less people. I think our biggest meeting I've ever been to in the Reno area, which is our big meeting, has 12 people. So this is awesome. I'm so glad you're all here. So um, my top number one reason... Uh, for not going to meetings for the first 52 years of my life was I didn't think I was a compulsive eater. I thought I was just really bad at dieting. Turns out I'm really good at dieting, but I'm a compulsive eater. So it was November 2015, so I haven't been in program that long. So I should qualify everything I say up here because with the phrase, just for today, because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. My yesterdays are not a good example of what I would like to share, but for today, I have something that I'm proud to share. So November 2015, I sat down, and I was like, you know, i got to get geared up for that January 1st diet, right? It's November. I need some research and planning time, because that's what I do. I research and I plan. So I sat down, and I'm a computer geek, so I appealed to the the great oracle of our time, and I Googled it. And I said, oh, mighty Google, help me. You know, tell me what my problem with food is. So the first thing that comes up is the OA Great Britain site. And they have this link to the test on OA.org, and it says, do you have a problem with food? I'm like, well, yes, I do. So I took the test, and yay-ho, and there I was. I'm like, I'm a compulsive eater. That That was really literally my first step. So... That was my reason, but now I know, okay, yeah, I'm a compulsive eater, so I might have a problem with food. Um, So then I had this completely, reason number nine for me was I didn't know how to find a meeting. Now, this is complete BS because, hey, I'm a computer geek, and there is the almighty, all-seeing Google who knows everything. Um, So I go in, finally, to the OAO.org site, and I click the button, big button, really easy to find, find a meeting. Uh, There are 6,500 meetings registered with OA.org worldwide in 80 different countries. So that was not a really valid excuse I had to do. Uh, It turns out even in my tiny northern Nevada area where I'm from, there was a meeting 11 miles from my house. I could bike to that. I'm I'm in decent enough shape. I could have biked to that. Uh, There's also one walking distance less than a mile from my office in Carson City. So, yeah, that was not a valid reason either. So my next meeting uh, reason that I had to come to face and accept and get my arms around was probably the underlying reason for why I didn't want to go to a meeting. I was still eating. I was still in the food, and I was still gaining weight. Um, so maybe I didn't actually understand about meetings because I was somehow convinced, convinced I had to figure out how to stop eating before I went to the meeting. So... You know, not true. That's where you find out. You're not alone. And you have a disease that manifests itself physically. And it's caused by emotional symptoms. And there is a spiritual cure. So it's at a meeting that you will find a sponsor, start to work the steps, and begin working to understand and finding what abstinence is. So I'm still resisting. Apparently, I'm a slow learner. 
So that meeting time doesn't work for me, or the meeting was too far away. Those are my seventh and sixth reasons, by the way. So have you ever noticed that meetings always seem to happen about the time when you're thinking about lunch or dinner? Um, in my neighborhood in northern Nevada, all the meetings are either at noon or six or 530. I'm like, so um, I don't think that's a coincidence. Do you guys? It's not really a coincidence. So I decided that was not a coincidence, and uh, – I, I thought, okay, what if I was one of those people who have little kids at home, can't find a babysitter, or I have a sick spouse to care for, or an aging parent, or I am sick myself and I can't actually get out of the house? So um, I don't know how many people here are aware of it, but this year in April, the World Service Business Conference, uh, with 228 people from 17 countries around the world, voted in to create the virtual region. So for the last 10 plus years, I don't know how long they've been doing it, there's actually been a virtual services community where you can find a meeting in your language probably 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Not really a good excuse anymore, right? So those 6,500 meetings that are out there, um, they're in 80 different countries. Uh, when I Googled a meeting to start this morning, I was up at 4.30 this morning because I don't sleep late. I grew up on a farm. So, you know, as soon as it's 4, I'm like, well, I've got to feed the chickens. Um, so my adrenaline kicks in. But uh, of those 6,500 meetings, um, there are Facebook meetings that are going on 24 hours a day. You can join a Facebook meeting and be approved and joined by the moderator, and you can go on any time of the day, and somebody has shared their strength their experience, their hope, and you can comment on that and share your own experience, strength, and hope. And like I said, I'm a nerd, so that really appealed to me. Um, there's all kinds of virtual meetings. There's the email loop meeting, which is what we call a non-real-time meeting. So that just goes out, and people respond to it during a 24-hour period, and, and that's your meeting. It's this email loop, and you can sign up for those. Um, there's a ton of phone meetings. There's podcasts. There's chat room meetings. There's something I intended recently called a Zoom video meeting where it's everybody's on camera, and as you speak, it, it's projecting your camera to the other people on the meetings. So I get onto this meeting, and the first thing I hear is, Hi, I'm Yuta from South Africa. And, hi, I'm Evangeline, and I'm from New York. And, hi, I'm Dora, I'm from Brazil. And so I pipe in with, hi, I'm Karen, I'm from Nevada. I was connected to people who were just like me all over the world. And it was an amazing feeling. So those of you who have gone to World Service, this was my first time. And... I got to hear the serenity prayer in six different languages. I cried every time it wasn't my language. I don't know why that is, but it was a reminder that in these meetings, we are not alone. And if you can't get to a face-to-face -face meeting, I love my face-to-face -face meetings because that's where I get hugs. But if you can't get to a face-to-face -face meeting, there's a lot of other options. So, oh, by the way, there's a table set up to welcome the virtual region. So if you guys have a chance, just go by and write a little card or sign the big poster board with your name and where you're from and send a little message. I'm going to be sending that out to Jim A., who is the new uh, virtual region co-chair, 
and uh, I think he'll get a kick out of that and share it with the rest of the region. So, okay. So, how much time do I have left? Oh, good. Oh, good. All right. So, um, so my reason number five actually goes back almost 20 years, and the first time I ever tried to go to an OA meeting, back before I even accepted that I might have a problem with food, was the God thing. So uh, I was raised by wolves. We didn't have religion in my family. And uh, so I went to this meeting because somebody at my Weight Watchers group suggested it very kindly. Uh, but it was at a church, which freaked me out already. And so I get up there, and I'm about to go in the door, and I hear them start to pray. And I'm like, oh, I am so out of here. Didn't go back for 15 years. So um, I didn't want to... I didn't want to get into that. And plus, I was from the South, and they, t- they take their religion real seriously down there. Um, so meetings were where I finally learned, because I got so desperate I had to go despite the God thing. Um, my higher power can be whatever I need it to be, whatever I want it to be. I get to create that. So I said in my first meeting when they were saying I could do that, I'm like, I don't even know where to start. So the guy says to me, he says, well, you know, your higher power could be the doorknob on the door to this meeting. That's pretty stupid. And then I thought about it, and I was like, okay, wait a minute. So if I reach out my hand to that doorknob, it's going to get me into the meeting. So, hey, that's my higher power. So I kid you not, for the first three months of OA, my higher power was the doorknob on the door to the children's room at the Methodist Church where I went to my first meeting. So... Um, Eventually, I am so grateful to say that I, I met my higher power at meetings. And, um, wow, uh, what I get uh, from that non-religious uh, spiritual connection is this feeling that this energy, this flow that happens when two people come together for a meeting. And it can be on the phone or on the computer or whatever it is. But that is something I can not only give to, but I can tap into that. And I can ask for some of that energy and some of that power. And I can use it, and I have used it, to learn to meditate and to find some peace and to find my abstinence. So God things no longer a good reason for not going to meetings. So my number four reason when I I couldn't seem to get into this was I was way too busy. So when I first started going to meetings, I thought I was already too busy. But uh, I don't know if any of you here do service, but it's like a gateway drug. So you start off by putting out chairs, and then you're doing a... You know, the intra-group uh, rep, and then suddenly you get elected without really realizing it to be on the intergroup board, and then you're the region rep, and then you're going to world service, and man, I'm really busy now. So um, I find that my service to those different types of meetings has been the single strongest thing in my abstinence so far, and I suspect, deeply convinced, that if I stop doing service and stop going to those different kinds of meetings that I will lose that abstinence. So that's not a reason I'm going to use anymore. Um, In northern Nevada, uh, reason number three, after my first meeting, I was like, oh, those meetings are too small. There's not enough people in there. Um, 
there's more people in here. For those of you who came in late, there are twice as many people in here right now than there is in our biggest meeting in Reno sometimes. So not a good excuse. But thank goodness for the three people who come to those meetings. If you've got a small meeting that you go to, please keep going. What if those three people hadn't showed up the night I finally decided I was going to go into that meeting? I feel sometimes when I'm sitting out in the parking lot, hoping one other person will show up so we can have a meeting, um, that if I don't show up and if I don't go, somebody like me is going to show up, there's not going to be a meeting, they're not going to get it. So if you've found abstinence and your life has just unfolded into this amazing promises, video, movie, TV for life thing that is amazing, don't stop going to meetings because we need to give that back, right? We need to keep that going because if there's not a meeting somewhere, somehow, you're not going to get any of those other things. So um, the, the second reason that almost made me stop going to meetings was I got annoyed and irritated. I am a very impatient, frustrated person who is way too smart for the rest of us. So I noticed after the second meeting they were reading the same stuff over and over again in the meeting. What a time waster. Can't we just jump into the sharing? So I finally figured out that I don't hear all of that every time. Even if I'm pretending to pay attention, I'm not hearing all of that all the time. But there is one thing. Every single meeting, every single conversation I have with another OA person, my higher power is sending me something I needed to hear right that minute. Also, it finally dawned on me when I was writing this speech that that repetitive opening preamble and the welcome and all the other stuff, that's like a stretch. You know you're supposed to do stretches when you start to exercise? It gets you limber enough to get into where you can actually hear what other people are saying, and then you can share in a way that fits into the OA way of recovery. So not a good reason to, um, to stop going. But I will say that if, though, if that particular meeting format doesn't work for you, OA has about 12 different specialty topics and about 10 different meeting formats. So if the meeting that's near you doesn't work, try an online meeting, try a phone meeting, try a big book study group, try a 12-step meeting, try a convention, try a retreat, try something because this is the answer and it is the solution. And you just have to do a little work to figure out what that is. So my number one reason for not going to meetings was shame. So Rita, I needed to hear what you had to say about shame. Um, Gosh, Uh, so when I walked into that meeting two and a half years ago, I had regained over 90 pounds after having bariatric surgery. So I was ashamed first that I'd even had the surgery. I tried to work it like nobody's business. I did everything I was told. I wanted to be the poster child for bariatric surgery, and I lost 151 pounds. But then I gained it back. I didn't know I was a compulsive eater. I didn't know that the surgery alone would not was not the answer. I did not know that I ha- that if 
I had to accept that I can't eat sugar. I can't eat flour. Those are my addictive foods. I have to eat, you know, real food like vegetables and fruit and meat. So I didn't want to, I wanted to be that shining example for bariatric surgery, but instead I became an awful warning. And I walked into that meeting. I didn't tell anybody for a long time what, that I had had the surgery. And it wasn't until a young girl came into the meeting because her doctor told her she had to go to one meeting that I shared my story because she wanted to have the surgery. She was 24 years old. And so I shared with her that if I had worked the OA program eight years ago, nine, oh my God, 10 years ago now, 10 years ago, if I'd worked the OA program before having the surgery, I don't think I'd have needed the surgery. So I permanently rearranged my insides so I could lose weight, and then I figured out a way to eat around that surgery and graze my way back into a morbidly obese body. So those are all of my reasons, and uh, when we do the sharing, uh, I would love it if you guys would tell me some of your reasons. But the top ten reasons why I now go to meetings are, number ten, I'm a compulsive eater. Number nine, it's easy to find a meeting. Number eight, I want to stay out of the food and keep losing weight. Number seven, a meeting is as close as my phone. Number six, there's a meeting every hour of the day, somewhere. Number five, it's where I met my higher power. Number four, I love giving service. Number three, somebody might need to see me or hear what I have to say that day. So I have to show up. And number two, I need to hear something that's being said at that meeting that day. So I have to be there. And the top reason why I keep going to meetings is because I'm not ashamed anymore. And I know if I keep going back, it works. Our third speaker is Scott from San Francisco. He's passing his pictures. There'll be a slight delay on the tape. Hello. You can hear me okay, right? My name is Scott, and I am a compulsive overeater. Hi, Scott. Hi. You know, I swear to you, I feel like I don't belong up here. It's strange how certain things either don't disappear or take a while to uh, be free of. Um, so I am not going to spend 20 minutes talking about a tool of recovery or the tools of recovery. I'm going to spend more like seven or eight minutes. Um, I'm also going to talk about the 12 steps. And um, I want to begin by just giving you a few numbers. So... I think numbers are important. It's funny, when I was in relapse, I didn't think numbers were important. And now, God willing, I'll have eight years of abstinence tomorrow. And now, thank you. And now, and by the way, that follows seven years in a relapse. So if you're in a relapse right now, there is hope, if you didn't know that. H-O-P-E, hearing other people's experiences. That's what I get from meetings. Um, so I've been in the fellowship for over 17 years. Um, I came in at age 28. Uh, in about three weeks, I'll turn 46. 
Um, OA didn't give me my life back. OA gave me a life, period. When you're 25 and just waiting to die, that's not really living. Um, I have lost between 140 and 150 pounds. I have been at goal weight for, pro for over five years. And I have counted 18 medical and psychiatric conditions completely healed just by overhauling my nutrition. And that is a literal statement. No doctors, no nurses, no therapists, no personal trainers, no nutritionists, no surgeons, no religions, no gurus, no hocus pocus, no magic, no medications, no exercise, just by overhauling my nutrition. And that means looking at what I eat. It means looking at what I drink. It means taking vitamins and minerals. And it means getting rid of all man-made pharmaceuticals. Um, and again, this is my story. That's the one I know the best. Um, when I first came into the fellowship on March 2nd, 2001, I was on the medication for depression. I was on the medication for general anxiety disorder. I was on the medication for obsessive compulsive disorder and Tourette syndrome. I was on three medications for a skin condition called psoriasis. I was on another medication for high overall cholesterol and I was on another medication for high blood pressure. And because more is better, I graduated to taking a daily um, seasonal allergy pill within a couple of years of coming in. And again, today, I'm almost 46 years old, I'm on zero medications. I've never been healthier. Almost 46 years old, never been healthier. So suicidal depression, gone. Anxiety, gone. Obsessive-compulsive disorder, gone. Tourette syndrome, gone. Insomnia, gone. Sleep apnea, gone. 17 out of 18 um, body-wide patches of psoriasis, gone. Seasonal allergies, gone. 20 to 25 nosebleeds per month, gone. Chronic constipation, gone. Uh, gout, Gone. Sleep apnea. Gone. Insomnia. Gone. Learning disability. Gone. Chronic fatigue syndrome. Gone. And I could keep going and going on and on like the Energizer Bunny, right? Um, sorry if you need to bleep that out. So there you go. Um, those are, that's the math and the science, right? What I like to say is the math and the science don't lie. Mathematicians lie, and scientists lie, and I lie, but the math and the science does not lie. So what I like to do is, before I get into the tools of recovery, and I'm going to speak of the tools of recovery from the perspective of a newcomer, how I worked them when I was new, what I like to do is frame the tools around the 12 steps of OA. And I like to keep things really simple. So for today, here is how I view the 12 steps of OA. Step one is where I'm at. Step two is where I'd like to be. Step three is a set of instructions that helps me get from where I'm at to where I'd like to be. Step four is a list of my secrets. Step five is sharing my secrets with another individual and my higher power. Step six is a list of my tendencies in life. Step seven is an invitation to try something different. Why? 
Because I am not God enough to undo the world of all its ills. And not only am I not God enough to cure the world of all its ills, plainly and simply, I'm not God. And to me, that is step seven in a nutshell. Without the nutshell, of course. (laughs) I'm not God. And that is a tough one, i got to tell you. Step eight, a list of all persons to whom I owe amends, including myself. What a concept. Step nine, doing right by all those people, including myself. What a concept. From this point moving forward. Why from only this point moving forward? Because once again, step seven taught me that I am not God enough to go back in time and undo anything that's been done. You know, I have some control in this world. And I can take certain actions from this point moving forward, and I'm either doing my lower power's will for me or my higher power's will for me. And it's a decision that I'm constantly needing to make. Uh, Step 10 is just utilizing the first nine steps to help me get through something that's that's up for me right now. Step 11, talking to God, prayer, listening to God, meditation. And step 12, being of service to other people, especially when they ask for it, except when I'm injuring myself in the process. And that's important because I'll remind you, I just said that I am on my own eighth step amends list. And not only am I on on my own eighth step amends list, I am on top of that eighth step amends list. I like to call it um, healthy selfishness. So... um, at age four, I, I was first, the first time I misused food, I was four years old. Um, it was also at age four when I met my first binge buddy, my dad. And it was also at age four where I learned the hard way that my dad had an issue with rageaholism. Um, I was on the wrong end of one of his rageaholic episodes at age four. And physically, it was painful. Um, Fast forward about four years, and my dad began taking me to church. My mom didn't have to go. My sister didn't have to go. He, He just took me along. And I hated it. I thought it was boring. And I hated Sunday school, too. And then he stopped coming with me. But for some reason, I felt like I still needed to go. And I did that for a few months, and then it just kind of fizzled out. He didn't question me about it. Um, It was around that time where my dad started reading me um, stories from a children's Bible, and we saw some religious movies. And it was at that time, at around age eight, where I developed an unhealthy fear of God. Um, Fast forward about three years, I'm 11 years old, and I meet binge buddy number two. And binge buddy number two loved to beat the hell out of me physically, mentally, verbally, and even sometimes financially. I forgave him about eight years ago. It was a beautiful experience, seven years ago, almost to the day, seven years ago, in fact. Um, So there you have it. Between the ages of four and 11, I have this kind of rocky foundation of what I like to call my bizarro world 12 steps. Step negative one, step negative two, and so on. You know, step negative one. I am not powerless over food. I just like to eat. And it feels really good when I do so. Certain ingredients, that is. Step negative two. 
came to believe that the power greater than myself hated my guts. And step negative three, came, uh, uh, made a decision to, to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, because if I didn't, he, he would punish my family and me. And then all the rest, steps negative four, negative five. I don't have any secrets. And even if I did, I'm not telling you any of my secrets. Mind your own business, thank you very nice. Steps negative six and negative seven. The solution is revenge. And if I were you, I would draw a set of eyes be behind your head because I'm going to show you why you shouldn't have done that stuff to me. Steps negative eight and negative nine. I don't owe you an apology. You all owe me. You don't get it. You're the reason why I am screwed up in the head right now. And then the maintenance steps. Steps negative 10, negative 11, and negative 12. This guy doesn't need any maintenance. He did it right the first time. So if you imagine those 24 steps on a number line and put a zero in the middle, um, you have what some people call step zero, and some people refer to step zero as putting down the fork. And I kind of like that because I am of the belief that putting down the fork before I do the step work gives me an advantage because I think clarity is extremely important. You know, I spent the night at my girlfriend's house in the Berkeley Hills last night, and I drove up, drove up here on the freeway for an hour and a half. And I want those drivers to have clarity. I don't know about you, but I think that's kind of important. And uh, the, the steps have saved my butt in so many ways beyond the food. So the clarity is important. But I also like to look at step zero as the tools of recovery. Um, when I was a newcomer in March of 2001, I didn't have a whole lot going for me. I didn't have any knowledge of any of this stuff. All I had was my misery. Um, the first thing I ever did in OA was a tool of recovery. Meetings. I attended a meeting Friday, March 2nd, 2001, St. Luke's Hospital um, in San Francisco. Um, I felt really comfortable and safe at that meeting. I thought I was the only one to eat out of my garbage can. Um, that's, that's not true. Um, but I felt safe enough to want to come back to another meeting two days later on a Sunday morning. But looking at the meeting schedule, I was kind of confused, right? Because for this one meeting, there were two different listings for it. One said newcomers meeting, and the other just had the focus name attached to it. So I used another tool of recovery, the telephone. I called the contact person for those meetings and said, hey, I'm, I'm brand new. Do I have to show up to the newcomer's meeting? I don't, I don't get that. And she kind of laughed and said, oh, you can you know, show up to either one. It's up to you. I have secretaried over 100 newcomer's meetings. And I tell, we get that question all the time. It's kind of a cute, it's actually a good question. Um, that Sunday morning meeting at 9.30 became my first home meeting. And within a week or two, I met my first sponsor at that meeting. Sponsorship, that's another tool of recovery. That sponsor gave me an assignment immediately. He had me get an AA big book, literature, another tool of recovery. And once I had that in hand, he gave me another assignment. He gave me a writing assignment, writing, another tool of recovery. He had me read the doctor's opinion and just kind of make some notes. And, 
and all that good stuff. So here I am, two and a half, three weeks in, brand new, and I've, I'm already using five of the tools of recovery on a somewhat regular basis. You see, I believe step one is about powerlessness, and step seven is about powerfulness. And when doing step one, I kind of need to look for ways where I can use some of my power, right? There's rarely anyone blocking me from getting to a meeting or doing a written 10 step or, you know, sponsoring someone. I mean, usually I'm the one in the way or the disease, right? After a binge, right? I kind of don't want to do anything but take a long nap. So there it is. Um, Now, it didn't work out with that sponsor because of his schedule, but he transferred me off to a, a guy he, he knew who was keeping off 100 pounds, and we started working together. And the first thing I did with this sponsor number two was to formulate um, a plan of eating, another tool of recovery. We sat in his car on a Monday night in the Haight-Ashbury of San Francisco, and we put together a plan of eating that I kept for about five years, I think, five or six years. Uh, So plan of eating, another tool of recovery. That same sponsor, number two, taught me my first lesson in anonymity. Um, When I first came into the fellowship, I was so sick, I had to live in a halfway house. But I was doing well, and, you know, kind of the good behavior thing, they eventually gave me my own bedroom, and then they kind of graduated me to this really wonderful mental health cooperative, this huge Victorian um, house. And this sponsor, number two, came over because I was going to give away some step work to to him. And, you know, I had six roommates at the time, six men. And the sponsor comes in the door, and I introduce him as, oh, this is so-and-so, and and he's lost over 100 pounds, and he's an OA, and he's my new sponsor. And he didn't say anything. We go up to my bedroom, he, he just politely kind of looks, he said, you're not supposed to do that. Next time, just introduce me as your friend. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Um, these days, I have a, a much better understanding of anonymity. Um, I feel like if I understand the, the tool of recovery of anonymity, I am less likely to censor my shares. And if we are truly as sick as our secrets, I kind of need to not be censoring my shares in meetings and out. You know, yeah, people break anonymity. I have broken anonymity, and it sucks on both ends. But at, at some point, I do have to have some, some faith that, you know, most of you aren't going to do that. Um, and there's a lot of letting go in that process, right? Um, I believe that the greatest way I can be of service, another tool of recovery, is to be abstinent. I mean, I am a part of the e-media committee with SF Intergroup. I um, am a new, uh, speaker-getter at a, a Century 100-pounders meeting in San Francisco on Tuesday nights. Um, I've had, I have two sponsees currently. I do a lot. I give people rides home all the time. It's one of my favorite things to do, even after a long day. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like giving another median after the meeting, if that makes sense. It just feels good, right? This disease robbed me of much of my early life. I didn't get a driver's license until 10 days or 9 days before my 35th birthday. So one way I show gratitude for that and my vehicle is to give people rides home. 
um, but service. Now, when I first came in, in my last few minutes here, there were only eight tools of recovery. And then I think six, seven, eight years ago, they introduced a ninth one, um, action plan. Um, the greatest definition of action plan I've heard comes from the artist formerly known as my fiance. Um, you know, about a year ago this time, we got unengaged. But she says that an action plan is like a spiritual to-do list. And I love that. You know, I, I, I love that, a spiritual to-do list. So twice a year, I get my teeth cleaned. And I pay in full on time with cash. No credit card debt for almost three years. Um, once a year, or I mean every, you know, once a year or whatever it is, um, there's like DMV registration stuff that comes up. You know, there's always business calls you have to make about some bill that you don't know why that was sent to you. There's always all these things, things that it seems like procrastination is always the answer. Just like food is always the answer, right? You know, I, I feel like addiction is really about sacrificing the future for immediate gratification. And if I eat right now, I'm giving up a lot, but right now it feels like it is the solution. And then the cravings go away, and then they come back. And then once again, right now, it feels like this. And you do this for a long time. It's like, wait a second. Where do these 150 pounds come from? And then why am I 40 years old all of a sudden? So, um, yeah. You know, I, I really hope that was helpful. I think I'm going to end about a minute early, and I look forward to uh, seeing you all out there. Oh, oh, you know what? I did have one last thing. The Wii tools, right? I am a professional isolator, and um, I don't make any money doing it. I actually lose money doing it in any life. But I do want to read February 29th of For Today. And I love this because you can only read it once every four years, right? There's only, you can read as much as you want, but you know what I mean. Compulsive overeating is largely a solitary pursuit. When I was out there eating, I scorned the idea that I needed people. I ate alone and thought I was ruggedly independent. In truth, I was pathetically deluded and seriously ill. The relief of finding OA can hardly be described. Here is strength that does not threaten or demand or pat me on the head. In the instant I made myself part of that strength, I became whole. And I am out of time, so I'll wrap up here. There is a for today entry. The quality of my recovery and my life depends on something I can find only at OA meetings. Contact with other recovering compulsive overeaters. Thank you for helping me not isolate today. Okay. The meeting is now open for three-minute pitches. Please sign the release form at the podium prior to speaking. We ask that you limit your share to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. This session will end at 11.15. A pitch is a share, so someone asks what's a pitch, so just come up and share your experience, strength, and hope.
I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, um, Oh, thank you for your what I heard today. It was really good. Um, one of my favorite sayings, and nothing's original pretty much that I say, uh, thinking is not one of the tools, and control is not one of the promises. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's good to take those things home and, and make them mine. Um, I love the tools. I've also heard the tools give relief, the steps give recovery. But the tools knit us together. Um, I've been part of meetings where everybody sits around and says, we have to call each other. Yes, we have to do phone calls. Yes, this is going to be good. So we all sat home waiting for the phone to ring. (laughs) And I went to one meeting, and I noticed there were like six people with me. I called one of them every day of the week between the meetings, and it it, it, it brought the meeting closer together. We, we were talking to each other between meetings, um, getting out of the isolation, um, like that p- pathetic delusionism or whatever the saying was. Yeah, rugged individual, I can do this. Remember the old ad, please, mother, I'd rather do it myself. Um, but to be with other people and to need other people and to ask for help from other people, what a challenge, what a gift to learn in this program, and the tools make it possible. Um, you work your fingers to the bone using the tools and you get bony fingers. That's off an old country western song. I think. But um, What a good topic, the tools, because um, we really need them, and I, I like the, the spiritual to-do list as a program of action. I'm a real good planner and I love to-do lists. And at the end of the day, you take that to-do list and it becomes a ta-da list. And that feels really good too. Anyway, I will sign this and let somebody else get up here. My name is Julie. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Julie. One of the best reasons I have not to go to a meeting is I already know all this stuff. And it's um, that comes back to me all the time. It's like, I've already heard this. I know this. And then I know that's, that's a signal to me that I need to listen. One of the biggest things in recovery that I've done <clears throat> is to sit there and listen. Coming to, uh, coming to the first, no, not coming to the beginning of the meetings uh, that I started, um, it was hard to listen. It was hard to listen. I knew what those people needed to do. I knew everything. And now I know I, I only know what up to today and what I'm being given to go on today. So, um, yes, I know everything and I know nothing. Thank you all for being here. Hi, 
Hi, my name is Mary. I'm up here doing service because I was moderator for another meeting, and they said they didn't like the dead silence for those <laughs> listening to the tape or podcast. So, hi, everybody. I'm Mary, Compulsive Overeater, and thank you, panel. Excellent stuff. Thank you, thank you. Um, I know why I think I don't, I, not the meeting thing, but being a sponsor. I was uh, sponsored to somebody, and I came to, I like to tell my sponsors, I don't want to invest more than you in the program. I don't want to work harder than you do. Well, one time I met a sponsee, and she hadn't done the writing I told her to do. And there I was, full of judgment, full of, like, why am I wasting my time? But thank God she said, well, we can just talk. Because I did think about the questions that you asked me. You guys, I was floored. That day she had way more recovery than me. And I was humbled. I was like, God, what makes me think? Because one of my greatest defects of character is righteousness. I think I'm like so God-like. And thank you. I'm not. I'm not. I'm humbled, and I'm um, grateful. I'm a hardcore, hardcore compulsive overeater, heroin addict with food, and the tools, the steps, this program. I like what I heard earlier. They they gave me my life. Before this, I was watching Rockford Files until like one in the afternoon, and only got up to binge, only to get up, to go to bed the next day to do the same thing over again. So please, share your experience, strength, and hope, and thank you, Gigi, for your service. Hi, I'm Cindy, compulsive overeater. So, um, yeah, thank you, panel. It was great. And uh, to the question about reasons that have come to my head of why I don't go to the meetings, um, so I've continued to come to the meetings since 2001, regardless of where my food was. But sometimes what comes up for me is um, because I don't physically look like you, meaning that the color of my skin is a different color, um, sometimes I go, I shouldn't go. And and I know that's a lie because... um, we're all compulsive overeaters, and thankfully my first sponsor didn't look like, no, my second sponsor didn't look like me, nor did my first one. But my second one I was more honest with, and she told me to identify, not compare. And that's been, like, a real important thing. And particularly right now for me, while there's some stuff going on, outside issue, I still get a little sensitive about that, but I also know that that's another, that's a thing my disease tells me, to not show up and be with my fellows. And... Um, and, and I, I'm going to say that because I also hear that sometimes from other people who don't necessarily look like everyone in the room. And I just want to say, identify, don't compare. This disease takes out everybody, you know. doesn't matter where you're from, what you look like, what you did. It takes people out. People do die. Step one, doctor's opinion says we're doomed. So, um, you know, be with the people. Or as, as my second sponsor said, you're a duck, not an eagle. Just get used to it, you know. So, um, thank you for share. Thank you for asking that question, and thank you guys for letting me share. 
Hi, I'm Gigi. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Gigi. Thank you, panel. Those were wonderful, inspiring shares. Um, I wanted to talk about the question why we don't go to meetings. And my number one reason is time. Um, you know, I'm kind of addicted to time. I'm sort of addicted to being busy and having overscheduled myself, then getting exhausted, then falling apart. And I have a mental illness that's it is is bothered by stress. So when I get exhausted, I'm relapsing in my mental illness. So it's just a whole big, terrible cycle. And sometimes it impacts my OA meetings. Sometimes I say, oh, I'm too tired. I need to stay home tonight. And you know, I find that if I don't put first things first, it really works against me. Like time is the issue. But when higher power and the program are first, Everything goes smooth, and I find the time, and it really works out. An example is I do volunteer work on Mondays, and I have to show up. I treat it like a paying job. And I was just really exhausted Sunday night, one Sunday night, and I just said, I, I can't um, show up. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I decided to go anyway. And I prayed that morning for time. I prayed to higher power. I need time. And when I got to work, the place was, it's an a animal shelter. It was closed because it was a holiday. I didn't realize it was a holiday. And there, I didn't have to go to work. I had a whole day to myself to do whatever I wanted. And I thought, I put higher power first. I prayed. You know, if I put my program first and I do the steps and I, and I work the program, I always find the time, even though... You know, I'm addicted to being busy, and I'm addicted to complaining about time. Really, you know, if you put first things first, you will find the time. Thank you. That's all the time we have for sharing. It's now time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service at, for this session. If you enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the All-Star Media table to order copies of this session or any other session. All workshops and main speaking events are being recorded and are available on CD or as an electronic download. Please join hands as we close with the third step that you will find on page 8 of your program. <laughs>